0: a quill
1: a former student lauren hernley was in town for an alumni soccer game and sat down with me in the lab to talk about her path from a mechanical engineering master student to her current role as senior mechanical engineer at m3 design in austin texas if you're an undergrad and are considering the design consulting industry you take a listen There's some messages in there from Lauren and other industry leaders about your network and experience, and I just thought it made sense to do this episode as you head into spring semester, especially with campus career events just around the corner. And if you're a seasoned professional, well, I hope you enjoy it too. Oh, you remember Lauren Hernley? Yes. So I sat down with Lauren and she recounted her story from graduate student to uh, starting professional. Wow. That's what we're, that's, that's going to be this week's episode. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 And I wanted to do it because career fair is coming up, I think in about a month or so. So it all is, these yes. undergrads, they're going to take the day off, I think, and they go, you know, hand out their resumes. Mm-hmm. So I thought that they should listen to this.
0: That would be a good listen. Well, Lauren, we always like her. She it's better to listen job. to Lauren, not me. Both. But yes (laughs) i know what to say (laughs) and that's a lesson that's a lesson for career day (laughs) (laughs) now what's the company she's at down there
1: she is with a design firm product design firm called m3
0: design okay right yeah she was telling us about that yeah did you know she's taken up figure skating well Austin, texas is a big figure skating hub you're joe you're that's a joke. Of course I'm joking.
1: Well, she said it's the only place you can get ice time.
0: <laughs> is a figure skating. She's
1: taking up figure skating. I'm not kidding. So she took up figure skating. She said she's gone a little overboard because she has a her own trainer now.
0: Well, you need your own trainer. It's figure skating.
1: But uh, th- th- this is bizarre. So, so she's doing this. She has a trainer. And within like six months, she's gone from never putting skates on to she's on some like ice capades production. I'm not kidding you. I've no got way. pictures, Yeah, she was like this maid in Beauty and the Beast or something like that. I have no idea. But she sent me a little email thing with it.
0: I was going to ask you if she grew up in Minnesota or something. No, no, she grew skating.
1: up, no, no, central Pennsylvania. Yeah, not a lot
0: of skating there.
1: No. And she hasn't skated before. At all? No, it's just she's doing like, like wow. triple sow cows and all sorts of crazy stuff you have the video i don't have well you know what that's a good point we should she get video might be just her. jerking yeah. my chain here i got the
0: picture yeah let's see the picture
1: this is funny she sent me that just as a that one in the next picture
0: holy cow wow <laughs> yeah
1: look at the next one she's like nancy kerrigan that's pretty cool <laughs> all right
0: always good chatting <laughs> always good chatting thanks scott you're welcome danny
2: This is Ellen Roach, and I'm pleased to announce this month's Lock the Quill Global Challenge winner is, drumroll, this is where I need my tin whistle, Carmel, from my home country Ireland in County Sligo. Great job, Carmel. Thanks for listening. Uh, Carmel is
1: 2,896 statute miles away. Oh, wow. Which is for you Europeans is four thousand six hundred and sixty kilometers. Wow. Uh, twenty five hundred nautical miles if you're a sailor. And if you're from MIT it's two million seven hundred and thirty eight thousand six
2: hundred and sixty five smoots. Oh my god. Did you bring
1: a tin whistle? No,
2: I oh, would've. Yeah, we'll get to that. I've you next been time. using it a lot. I'm trying to teach the girls, but they just are like <laughs> blowing me.
1: I remember talking to you years ago when you were a student about design consultancies and product development. Can you take us through your journey from mechanical engineering student at MIT to where you are now?
2: Yeah, um, when I was a sophomore in two double seven, I remember writing in at the end of my uh, end of the semester, they sort of had a little reflection assignment for your design journal, mm-hmm. and I think I said. This class is what reminded me that I can be creative and satisfy that a little more artistic creative side of me with the engineering and technical Mm -hmm. and that this is what I should be doing. And then 2009 came around and I was kind of searching for like, okay, well, what is it? And I remembered how 2007 felt. But now I feel like, okay, I'm behind the eight ball. I only discovered this. I need to get a portfolio together. I got to get an internship somehow so that people would even consider me for that role. So what I did in my master's was and I think a lot of people kind of do this with their master's, they use it as sort of a holding period to acquire skills or figure out the pathway to get to what they just realized they think they wanna do. (laughs) So I kind of did that a little bit. There wasn't this like grand academic plan that I had.
1: Did anyone out there ever have a grand academic plan? I mean, when I was 20, I couldn't plan dinner. Sure, I'd look ahead to the next problem set or exam, but unlike Lauren, my time horizon was, well, let's just say it was... mm, close.
2: Then in this first summer, I went to Mass Art what a lot of people can't do that are technical is communicate visually. I'm gonna work on that skill. Yeah, so my sketching class was between grad school and undergrad, and now I'll have that box checked. All the while trying to like shape my portfolio. For people who know portfolios they know it's never finished. And if you go back and look at one of your first portfolios, you're like, oh, this I showed people this. <laughs> I mean, the content was fine, but I cringe a little bit at it now. Got in Professor Wallace's lab, which was great, a really cool experience. So I started, and that was step one. Got in there, and then started taking the classes that were a little more design-geared. Mm-hmm. But then the next summer, I took a super low-pay internship at a small design firm in Pawtucket, Rhode Island.
1: This is your first internship?
2: Yeah, I think I got paid more lifeguarding in high school than I did <laughs> at this place, but it was good, and it was a fun experience. Drove down there every day. Hour drive from Boston because I've stayed in Boston. It was the right internship for the right time. Like I needed to get that access into the design consulting world. It also did validate that this was the right direction. Mm-hmm. It might not have been the perfect place, but you know the perfect place is a moving target too. Uh, it was the right place at the right time. So I did that drawing class at Mass Art between undergrad and grad school. The next year I went to uh, Paul Tucket. For this design mm-hmm. firm. And then I was ready to graduate right and next year, finished the thesis um, and I was looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, all the ducks in a row, I'm gonna get a job, when a resume dropped all these places, should be good. I'm super qualified, right? I've got these super, degrees. And nobody responded. So it was not the glamorous ending I was hoping for. It, it was actually really frustrating because, you know, you're like, oh, I think I have a great resume. I don't think I'm super socially awkward. <laughs> People <laughs> no. don't want me on their team, right?
1: You did all the right things. I thought MIT, so. MIT, undergrad, MIT right, grad, like for product something. development, you name it.
2: Yeah. And so it didn't work out that way. I think if you asked me at the time, I probably would have been a little bit embarrassed to talk about it. But I'm not now because of the perspective that it brings and that I I know that it wasn't a reflection of my value. And I guess I like sharing that story, especially with new graduates and saying, like, listen, maybe the right thing didn't fall in your lap right away. But it doesn't mean stop trying. And it doesn't mean you aren't worth the opportunities that are out there. And Just keep plugging away. And then I probably follow that up with, make sure you're networking. uh, Because it feels like a lot of the jobs you get are from the network that you cultivate.
1: Essential Design is a premier design consultancy in Boston. And John Devlin is their director of engineering. John and his team were connected to our senior capstone class at the time. They were volunteer mentors from the neighborhood and hosted workshops for our students in industrial design, interface design, and branding. So it made perfect sense that our product designer-to-be reached out to John for some advice.
3: I first met Lauren as a TA. Yeah, you know, we interacted a fair amount—not not a not a lot, but a fair amount during the class. Then after the following uh, semester, she reached out and was interested in a position, and we talked. I met with her and got a bit more sense of her background and uh, some of the internships she had done. And my recommendation to her was she would benefit greatly by going to a to a corporation first. And kind of getting the basics of what it means to develop products in a real company <laughs> rather than for a consultancy, right? Because as you know, there's so much about working in a design consultancy that is on the client side. And if you've never experienced the, the detail level of delivering a product to market that you would experience in a big env- you know, environment like that and get the investment time from uh, from an engineering leadership team to build your skills... It's really hard to come into a design consultant where they expect you to be experts and be super efficient and fast and succeed, no no matter how good your schooling is. It's not that it can't happen, but it's really hard. I knew the, the educational background, the technical skills were there, and I was convinced that she would be a great personal fit to a team dynamic like ours. She just needed, like anyone coming right out of school, she needed some of that exposure to a corporate environment and understanding how things are done and build the kind of core skills that you need to be effective.
2: So I pivoted, did a postgrad internship in Manhattan at Smart Design. The director of engineering there was willing to look at my resume pretty late in the intern cycle. So it was probably late April. And I showed him my portfolio and we talked a little bit and he's like, you know, I think we can make something work. And so uh, I got to go down to Manhattan for three months and try out that whole big city scene. I th- I mean, it was kind of a bucket list item. I wanted to see like, what is it like living in the biggest city in the US? Can I do it? I'm going to go into showbiz. <laughs> it wasn't sustainable on an intern salary, but it was a really cool experience. And it was fun to see product development in a different environment you know Mm -hmm. we we got paul tuckett and then we go to manhattan Sure, totally different
1: this was lauren's second internship but first one in a big city new york was a bucket list item and she relocated down to the east village And soon after, Lauren shared a bougie midtown apartment with two other women, an apartment so large you could almost fully stretch your arms without hitting the walls. Two thirds of her intern salary went to rent, which begs the question, what did she do with the other third?
2: So when I didn't get a job right out of grad school. I had gone around um, all over the country looking at, well, I didn't go, but I looked all over, like for a time I knew every design firm that existed in the country because I was just trying to figure out where I could do this. I went down to Austin for one weekend and reached out to three firms that were there and said, hey, I'm in town, I'm really interested in this field, would you spend some time with me? And actually all three of them entertained my request.
1: One of the three firms was M3 Design, a firm of approximately 30 engineers, designers, and strategists. Lauren was just finishing her internship in Manhattan. This was her moment.
2: I went on a studio tour and one of the guys that did the studio tour's name's Mark. And Mark at the time said to me, he was gracious. And at the time to me, he said, you know, you just don't have enough experience yet. Like you're just a little green.
4: Honestly, for a product development consultancy, we're a fee-for-service business, right? So we need people to come in and be productive pretty much right away. We don't hire very many people fresh out of school. And if we do, they've typically come to us as an intern and proven themselves. So I, I told her that in order to get into this business, we typically hire people at a few years of experience, who have a portfolio to show the work that they've done, the parts that they've designed. We're a small company. Everybody's got to get their hands dirty and make parts, design parts, design things. That's the experience we're looking for. And that's what I encouraged her to get was actual real experience designing in parts for industry and understanding how they're made, and you can get a lot of great experience like that in industry in a big company.
2: It was the right thing to say at the time. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have the skill set quite yet, and it might be hard for new grads to hear is that hey, you actually, I mean, you have a lot of the fundamentals, but you don't have the skill sets. I was still looking for that full time position, and so um, I started reaching out to my network.
3: Right at the time she was looking, uh, Tony Hu and a few other people had joined uh, Shark Ninja. You know, Tony had reached out to me looking for people and so I suggested to Lauren that she talk to Tony.
1: Everyone who's been around the block knows Tony. He's a great guy and an effective professional. Tony's been involved with product design and development for more than 20 years and has taught at Stanford and is now with MIT's Integrated Design and Management program. Speaking with Tony was a good call.
2: And he had just started working at Shark Ninja out in Newton, uh, just outside of Boston, and they hired me. So I started in December of that year following grad school and moved back up to Boston from Manhattan. So It wasn't the product design firm pathway that I wanted, but it was also a very valuable experience. Mm -hmm. So Shark Ninja makes a huge number of household consumer products, vacuums, blenders, Mm multi-cookers, mops, whatever. a kidding.
1: I didn't know the mop thing. Yeah,
2: a wet mop. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so it was a really great experience. I got to work with all of these different teams that are part of creating a product. You know, you have your industrial designers and your engineering and that's your little more traditional product development. But then we also worked with a culinary team and we worked with marketing and quality and actually the manufacturing team. And so like many companies that are in consumer products, they have a contract manufacturer that they work with. And Mm -hmm. so I also got the experience of going overseas and seeing being there for pilot production and, you know, making sure everything was as we wanted it, um, and that was an invaluable experience to kind of see how the how the machine works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I value that experience because I can take it with me now that I'm back in product development consulting, because it helps me know what my clients are doing on the other side or what sure. kind of the stakeholders that they have to work with. Um, but I knew it wasn't where I wanted to stay. Like, is there a year? Got promoted to senior engineer and. I thought it was a little bit ridiculous. I was kind of like, these jokers think I'm a senior <laughs> engineer. I mean, it's not that I, I, I was for that company. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew all the things that I need to know for the products. But that was kind of early success and kind of exciting to be like, oh, look at me moving up. But the next step was, well, one, the engineering had kind of gotten a little bit less exciting, right? You do that project cycle a couple times, and mm-hmm. there's not a lot that's changing. Maybe little things. You know, one year, they'll, we'll change the colorway on the product. And, well, that doesn't take a lot of engineering to right, do. Right. Um, but then I was working on little side projects. But ultimately, I knew that the, the next pathway is moving to manager. And I wasn't quite ready that early in my career to move away from the individual contributor role.
1: Because that's arguably only one year, one or two years out from school.
2: Right. And I was like, yeah. I still want to, like, make stuff. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's cool to direct and manage people, but I can do that later, right? (laughs) Sure. So then I reached back out to John Devlin at Essential Design, who was in downtown Boston.
3: Hey, uh, let's talk now that you've had, had some experience.
2: And there happened to be, the timing was right. John had an opening and he said, 100%, come on in let's do a quick interview, and I got that job. And yeah, I still think it's fine. I'm pretty sure I didn't even submit a resume for that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was kind of a testament to the relationship that we had cultivated, mm-hmm. even though we didn't never actually worked together, but we had communicated over the couple years at that point, and I guess developed this relationship where we could talk about those things. And what was also interesting is that it was a possibility that we might be leaving Boston in a year. And I felt comfortable, and I'm, I don't know 100% why, but I felt comfortable saying to John, hey, there is a possibility that I might be leaving Boston in a year. Are you still willing to hire me, even if it's only a year? And he said, yes, absolutely. Let's, I'm willing to take that chance, and let's do that.
3: Because she had had as much experience as she had, and I was convinced that she was going to be a great fit for the team. I really appreciated the honesty, and I felt like it was worth the gamble. I also wanted to spend time thinking about, okay, so what about how would this, if that did play out that way and Lauren would leave, would this be a net positive for Lauren? And I knew she really was interested in our industry, and I felt like, even if it were only, you know, nine, 10 months, it was going to help her in the long run pursue what she really wanted to pursue. And as it turns out, she's, you know, still in the industry now. What is it, five years later or so?
2: And so that, I, that also set us off on a good foot that we were able to, even before I was officially hired, to be able to that openly talk about it. And I mean, it was a little bit risky, right? You know, totally risky. Right? Like, are they going to rescind the offer? Sure. Um and advice to people, like if you're gonna ask something like that, make sure it's before you get the offer because I think it sours the other side of the relationship where you're like, oh, you actually wanna be remote 100% and you never mention that in the interview process. Yeah, uh, We're gonna to have to rethink that. So it is risky to say what your actual intentions are up front, but I think it's the best policy.
1: At this point, Lauren had corporate experience as well as some experience at a consultancy. Did the consultancy experience influence your decision to hire her?
3: Absolutely, no. It's definitely no, no. Absolutely, it, that, those are additive. I, I don't know that if she hadn't had that experience, that just the shark manager experience would have been enough. I think, but it definitely helps to to know that somebody has spent some period of time in a consultancy and understand how it works uh, is pretty compelling.
2: So worked at essential, worked on some really cool products. Um, and then that about six months later, I actually knew that we were moving. And so was able to say to John, hey, I'm actually moving. And what was great is that I didn't feel like I had to hide that information for months of knowing it and feel like I had to like kind of duck and dodge mm-hmm. awkward conversations. And he was able to prepare his team and backfill my resource. And I think it worked out really well. And then he did tell everyone at you know, two weeks or, you know, when the appropriate time was.
1: So Lauren gave her notice. She was moving to Texas, but always a team player and committed to doing the right thing. She made sure to take care of her work, her clients, and her colleagues.
2: I know I have this much time left. I'm going to do the best work I can and leave it in the best way to hand it off Mm -hmm. to whoever is following me. And that's kind of what I was working on. And because John knew and he was the one resourcing me on everything, I didn't have to say anything to anyone else because he handled all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Like he put me on the resourcing that made the most sense. The projects that were timed well for that. So he kind of was able to alleviate that pressure as well um, which was mm-hmm. super great. <laughs> um,
1: you said earlier he was a good boss.
2: Yeah, he was a very good boss and um, had a boss uh, <laughs> when they finally figured out who my boss was at Shark Ninja they, he was also a great boss. So mm-hmm. I've had two great bosses back to back and you know that they were the type of people that shielded me from the politics that were unnecessary for my work to get done mm-hmm. and but also gave me insight to what the company was doing, where things were going, so I could be strategic because I kind of like to be that kind of person where i 'm looking a little bit forward. So it allowed me to have that autonomy and they trusted me with my work and so I could be efficient, get all of these things done and, but also speak to them openly about things that were working, things that weren't working. I think that was really unusual to be able to have that twice.
1: Remember the polite rejection from M3 Design a few years ago? Remember all that networking talk? Well, circumstances were bringing Lauren to Austin and with more experience in both the corporate and consultant worlds, she knew exactly which door to knock on.
4: Yeah, she got a great portfolio and came back with a proven track record of design and stuff.
2: They turned around and gave me an offer within 12 hours of my interview. I mess with Mark now. I'm like, remember when you said I didn't have it? Look at me now, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: To what extent did knowing Lauren from earlier influence your hiring decision?
4: I don't think it played a part directly. Obviously, her skills spoke for themselves. She certainly wasn't hired just because we had met her. But the fact that... She kind of heard what we had to say. Went out, um, did at least what we were saying she needed to do to present herself as a more viable candidate. She went and did that. That certainly spoke a lot to her character and who she is and everything else. And that definitely speaks volumes about somebody. She, Lawrence, awesome as you know, and. Uh, she came in here, you know, as as I, I'm sure would also not surprise you, super prepared, uh, presented well, speaks well, asked great questions, and all those also spoke to her being motivated, interested, you know, uh, you know, listen to us and want to know about us. She showed us that she was very interested in M3, and all of those things combined to make for a good hire.
1: And what would you say to graduating engineers interested in product design and development?
4: Well, yeah, I think probably the same thing I'd, I said to Lauren is go out, get experience designing parts, designing products, right. Try to be in a business where they're making product and designing new products and get in the group that's the new product group, For us, CAD skills are very important. You should have good CAD skills and you got to be able to speak to the things that you exactly did and not talk about the things the whole group did. And it's okay to only have done a small thing or a small portion. You know, we certainly recognize where you are in your career.
1: you had any advice to give our undergrads or grads, what would you say to them?
2: One, going back to my quote-unquote failure after graduating of not being a good job right away is, you know, saying that uh, there will be setbacks. Don't let that get in the way. Just keep going for it. But also with that is build your network.
3: Mm. Um,
2: don't undervalue, like, <sighs> I think there's some people that are, they take the stance that I know my stuff. I'm smart. I'm sharp. That'll be enough. But unfortunately, the world isn't quite like that 100%. Mm-hmm. Yes, people do value intelligence and capability, but they also value relationships. And so sometimes, if you are that very practical person that's like, I have the skill set, I've got the right resume, they'd be lucky to have me. But you don't cultivate those other soft skills around it, it's really frustrating. Sometimes you have to uh, use that network.
3: Building a personal network is huge. I think it's huge in any industry, right? But especially in a net, uh, you know, an industry like design consulting, which is pretty small, you keep bumping into people and working with people. That are connected to people you know, or you end up working with people that you've established a relationship again and again and again. It's how you. And I said this to Laura before she even started working. I said, you know, understand how connections you make. Both personally and in industry, will influence the, the trajectory of your career, and it's those first five years that can really set you off in a, a direction. Right? Not that you can't change, but the connections you make are highly influential on the on the career trajectory you you take. And uh, I I think she took that to heart.
1: When I say networking to some of our students, it really for me it's about the relationship, mm-hmm. and I see quite often, unfortunately. The thought of networking means going to a cocktail party and exchanging business cards.
2: Right. And it's not that. That's
1: it's I've, it's not that Mm-mm. it's about authentic relationships, mm-hmm. not I'm developing my network because I know I'm going to leverage this person right. in the future. It's because it's not
2: conniving, right? It's
1: not conniving. <laughs> yeah. And I do think I see I see a lot of the cocktail parties as conniving events.
2: Well, and I think it's like that, especially when you don't know how to make the connection. You don't know where the common ground is Mm. or what to talk about. That's going to spark a fruitful conversation. Sure. Right. Like, oh, I don't know that we share this interest in, I don't know, yellow bellied blackbirds or whatever, like some (laughs) weird, obscure thing. Like, yeah, it's you shouldn't go into networking, think I'm going to see an immediate payoff kind of a long game and that you game. continue to foster those connections. And maybe they do something in the future, and maybe they don't. But some of that stuff, you don't even know what's happening behind the scenes within your network from the connections that you made, or I mean, I've seen it a lot. It's really interesting of how connecting with this person at that time was foundational for events that happened later.
1: Coming full circle, you recruit new talent into your firm. Um, Can can you comment on that experience?
2: I think what I find with, um, when we get interns that come into product design, they still want to know what the other side is like, or they want to, they don't don't realize what's unique about the design firm sort of model. And so they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go try to work at this tech company or that. And, and, and that might be the right fit or some startup might be the right fit, but then they don't realize, oh, this design firm had this excellent work-life balance and variety of projects and creative people and I'm learning so much.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, it's a, I feel a little bit bad for the interns. I don't feel bad because it's like great opportunity and they learn a lot, but sad that their perspective uh, is a little bit skewed. But then, you know, it goes both ways. Like, cause, and I came at it from the other side of, like, I tried the corporate side, saw what that was. And I saw its merits and detractors. Because mm-hmm. there's definitely there's definitely a place for everybody. And it's not all the same answer. Like, mm-hmm. not everybody's mm-hmm. going to thrive at a design firm. And not everyone's going to thrive in the new product development branch of a corporate company. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it's really got to explore and make those choices for yourself
1: can you share any cool project stories or projects that you're on or things that really stand out
2: oh, I, I do want to talk about my current project but design firm handcuffs on that one <laughs> uh yeah that's the classic consultant line actually i can't talk about I can't. it mm. i can tell you the project or i can tell you the client i can't tell you both right <laughs> like, <laughs> um I'm working on a really cool project right now. Um, what I like, I can tell you some different things mm-hmm. about. It. What I like about it is that it's in a using materials that are atypical. We're working in a lot of silicones and like stretchy things, mm-hmm. like membranes and stuff. And that's not your typical engineering material. It's usually like plastics, metals, mm-hmm. whatever. So that I think that's really interesting that I'm getting to do that. Um, prototyping is very hard in silicone because it's expensive to do it at the fidelity mm. that you need to do your like more functional prototypes at and they're very thin so we need a lot of elasticity sounds like some interesting thing doesn't it stretchy suits <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: but what you're, i think what you're touching on is that you're learning new things yeah uh and it's an unconventional material and you've been out as a professional for a number of years but you're still learning yeah for me the design firm it was about the breadth of projects that yeah. we would see.
2: I think that's it. For me too I like the variety and I'm always been a proponent of like learning something new. At least for me that's how I that's stay engaged. That's what resonates engaged.
1: for you, yeah. Yeah.
2: The other thing that I really like about the product design consulting firm is that I'm really relationship and service focused mm-hmm. and what I like about the design firm is I can help people achieve their goals like i feel like that is purposeful to me service is purpose mm-hmm. whether that be through teaching them new skills or helping them achieve a vision that they weren't sure they knew even knew how to formulate or just coaching them in general
1: clients yeah clients what, and sometimes employees your, sometimes your employees
2: yeah it's like three pronged like internal younger employees clients and then i try to do some on campus outreach, too, mm-hmm. where you're shaping young minds, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think what also really drove me towards product design consulting is that I kind of wanted to keep that MIT environment a little bit, mm-hmm. the like, collaborative and still had access to a machine shop and tools, because when you graduate, you had all of these tools and resources and opportunities available to you and then you graduate and they're gone
1: you mean not every company has a water jet that right i, can I can't use?
2: just like <laughs> i love it when students come and they're like oh yeah a 3d printed like 12 foot model of <laughs> like but why <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like no sense of how much that costs Ugh. but it's funny so you you kind of get that reality check of like this is how th- this is what things actually cost to do and you had this luxury in your academic setting to be for the generosity of the university and its donors, donate online. No, <laughs> I'm not trying to make a plug here. It's just like there are people that have made it possible yeah. for you to have all these wonderful resources, and mm-hmm. so it's. I didn't want to lose all of that.
1: And the design firm gave you an opportunity to still flex that muscle.
2: Yeah, I still have that. Um, and I really like the really like the collaborative, sort of, brain trust that design firms are. It's like. We say at our companies that you may not know the answer, but the answer is in the office. Mm -hmm. Somebody else knows or has some sort of experience and you just got to share what your problem is and you can kind of get to it. I'll embroider that on a pillow for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How about the music scene in Austin?
2: I feel a little bit like a bad Austinite because, because I'm not entrenched in the music scene. Okay, do you, Interesting do you have thing. a
1: favorite watering hall or club?
2: Um, No, I kind of like the, there's so many places.
1: I've never been,
2: There's okay, so I have so no clue. There's so many places in the, Austin. The it's Dirty like,
1: Sixth, I've
2: heard about. Uh, dirty Sixth, okay, so there's Sixth Street. One half of it is called Dirty Six, which is a little more rowdy. Mm. And then there's West Sixth, that's a little more like... Refined, more adults, more like working awesome. adults, and then Dirty Six is a little more like out of towner parties and college students.
1: How uh, about Jackalope? Have you uh, heard of that?
2: I feel like I'm being exposed of what I don't know. That's okay. No,
1: <laughs> Jeff pincus Does that name ring a bell? No,
2: my coworker. Uh huh. He went a different path right out of high school and whatever, punk rocker, toured in well. You know, he did the Austin stuff, but toured abroad. But it's so funny now, because this guy was a punk rocker touring Europe, and now he's director of engineering at my firm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah, sure. It's so funny. Um, so you can do a lot of different things before you land in an engineering <laughs> role. <laughs> oh,
1: that's so good. All right. Well, I think I should get to Austin at some point. You should. Are you enjoying it there? I do like, like big it. Great picture, Job, you're happy
2: um i don't have any family in the area mm-hmm. so i think that's a little bit of a detractor but i've got a great job mm-hmm. i like my friends and hobbies that i have
1: figure skating in austin yeah
2: i mean it's the only place in the u.s you can get ice time no <laughs> <laughs>
1: That punk rocker is none other than Kevin Gentry, guitar player born to lose from the mid noughts to 2010-ish. Uh, he's now director of engineering at M3. And I wonder if Kevin has any insights about Lauren to share.
4: She definitely has weird hobbies. You know, she does like this dog agility stuff, you know, which is like her and a whole bunch of old ladies you know, out on the field, like, you know, (laughs) makes her her dog jump around and, you know, jump through hoops and all this kind of stuff. And pretty sure she knits, you know, like she does like knitting or crocheting or something like that. Ice skating, I will say, is maybe a little more for young people, but it's like the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, it's like for like kids, (laughs) you know, like most people that ice skate are like children, like, man, you don't even have any like, like age appropriate hobbies.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of things that I appreciate about Austin. Um, am I going to stay there forever? I don't know if I know the answer to that. Austin's great, I, and it, it is changing and growing a lot now. There's a lot of companies and energy and coming into the area, so um, it's an exciting place to be. No, I, there's things I miss when I come back to the east or northeast, and I'm like, oh, things are green here. And the trees are tall <laughs> and there's seasons
1: Thank you Lauren for doing this.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm always I'm surprised that people remember me so many years later. Right? I'm
1: not at all surprised. Oh. I'm not at all. Surprised.
2: It makes me feel good. I'm like, oh, maybe I should come back every once in a while just to, like feel happy about things. <laughs> yeah. Sure,
1: it's MIT therapy. Yeah. Thanks to Lauren Hernley for spending so much time with us. Good luck with the skating and watch that pick leg. Thanks to John Devlin of Essential Design and Mark Bowie and Kevin Gentry of M3 Design for their participation. And of course, thank you for listening. And that music during Kevin's segment, that wasn't born to lose. I just didn't want to get into any copyright issues. His stuff is way better. I hope y'all take some of their input to heart. Y'all. See how I did that? The Lock the Quill Global Challenge resets for February, so keep sending your info to lockthequill at mit.edu. The game's afoot. Have a great weekend, everybody.